0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com.
1: I'm real excited today. Uh, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to introduce someone to you. Many of you know uh, during the COVID uh, Our Savior's Church, we purchased a home, and uh, with this one thing in mind, we wanted to help. We have a pandemic going on, not just the COVID 19. We have a pandemic in our nation of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and the pandemic only exposed that even a greater level. And it's been in our heart for a number of years to start something that we could start reaching out to the young men, young women, old men, old women. who are struggling with addiction? It's been our heart. We've seen, I think, in one weekend, one weekend, one, there were five deaths in St. Landry Parish from overdose. One weekend. That's what we know of. It, it is a pandemic, it is an epidemic that is going on. And the Lord, we, we, we purchased the house without even knowing who was going to be next. And the Lord sent us a couple. And uh, we're so excited. Michael and Victoria Hankins. And they are here with us today. Michael and Victoria, would y'all please stand up? I just want to give them a big round of applause. They are leading our retreat at sunset. And uh, we're so excited to have them a part of our family, part of our staff. And uh, I wanted to, I told you this, but I'm going to remind you. One of the things I wanted to do this year was I wanted to preach less. Not because I wanted to preach less, but because we need to give opportunities for the young men that God is bringing into this house, that God is going to use. And so, by the way, I told Teddy, Teddy Scott, last Sunday when I walked off stage, he was walking down, he was sitting in that section, he was walking down the steps, and I grabbed him and said, Ted, I want you to get ready because I want you to preach one Sunday. And he said, Pastor Eugene, you're not going to believe this. I was sitting up there, and the Lord whispered to me and said, Teddy, I'm going to give you a word for these people. I'm going to give you a message. And he said, that's what the Lord spoke to me while I was sitting in the chair. And then I walked down, and you said, get ready because I want you to preach. I want to give young people like that an opportunity. They have something to say. They have a word from God. And today, I'm so honored. Uh, I so appreciate this couple. And uh, when, it, when I introduced Michael and Victoria, Michael's been amazing. He's smarter than most of us. He's smarter than me, I can tell you that. And, and he's smarter than most of people in the room, but he carries a humility about him. And God's taking him through a lot. But I want this congregation to be prepared to receive the young men who preach. And let me tell you what can we do to help, Pastor Eugene, that, that you encourage them as they're speaking? Y'all have always done it for Heidi, you've done it for me, you've done it for our guest speakers by the encouragement of agreement, amen, we stand with you, absolutely, praise God, I want you to encourage them as they preach, so it's my privilege and pleasure, I want to to welcome, Michael Hankins is coming to deliver the word, would you stand to your feet, and welcome,
0: hello, good morning, good morning, Good morning, good morning. Our Savior's Church, Opelousas, you guys look fantastic. I learned something really important. Long is wrong, and if you can't be good, be short. I'm going to aim for both, but I'm going to rely on the latter. So if I could just have a show of hands, if you can give me five minutes of your time, just show me your hands. Okay, we're going to have to cater lunch. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. I mean, Pastor, we're going to be here a long time. I'm just kidding. I'm su- such a privilege to be here with you this morning. God is moving uh, tremendously. In this congregation. It is such a privilege for my wife and I to be a part of it, to do life with you guys, to build the kingdom of heaven here with you guys. Watching God uh, write your story here today is, has been awesome. We are a people within a people. God has called us by his name, right, to serve him. It's so, it's so cool to do this with you. So thank you so much for your generosity. You're making the program, The Retreat at Sunset Possible. Thank you so much for that. We have our first guy in the home, and it is, it's so awesome to see what God is doing in his life. And today is actually his birthday, so we're excited about that. Um, we have our next guy joining us next week. So thank you so much for, for helping us to robe prodigals. That's what we get to do. We get to put robes on them. And, you know, the next step for men that are coming out of Adult and Teen Challenge, they're coming out of these long-term treatment programs, their next step is different than yours. But trust me, we all have next steps. And so the Retreat at Sunset is a specialized, exclusive ministry home next step for those men. We also have the privilege of running an Adult and Teen Challenge kind of intake network. So what we get to do is we get to help men and women Um, adolescents, too, go into the program of Adult and Teen Challenge. So my wife and I, we get to spend your money. So (laughs) thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. We get to spend money. It's like, you know, you see that meme, like, explain your job poorly. I give money to drug addicts. Um, (laughs) No. (laughs) So so we get to help them. And and thank you so much for that. Because of your generosity, something incredible has happened, something that we didn't foresee that was going to happen. So we thought we were just going to be paying for induction fees and plane tickets and stuff like that. But what's what's actually happened is that we've been able to start ministering to families. And and we're starting to realize that they need advice and wisdom on how to spot enabling in their households. And and so since Legacy, we've been able to minister to 99 families so far. I mean, that's awesome. Praise God. It's been so um, wonderful. And uh, we also have had the incredible privilege and it's because of you, because of you. You have done this. You have walked 21 men and women into the next season of their life through the doors of adult and teen challenge. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Give yourself a round of applause. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Opelousas, Pastor Jim Lafu said something about you, and I could not agree more. He said, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are the crown jewel. You are so special. My wife and I have had the incredible privilege of being at all the different campuses at, at, at Our Savior's Church, and you are special. You really are. You are the crown jewel in, in, God's, in God's throne, and being able to be a part of that is, has been so cool. And your story has, is, is being told right now through the retreat at Sunset, through, through the, the legacy, the intake network, but also through the different leaders that you have here. You have incredible pastors, and I can't say enough about them. They're raising up the next generation. I'm so grateful for your pastors. But you also have other leaders in the church that are doing something incredible. Their story is being written here today, too, through them. Right? God is using these people. See, Vic is doing an amazing job with the worship team, isn't he? I mean, he's so happy to see what Vic is doing. That's the front-facing thing. Like That's like 10% of what he does. He's a discipler. When my wife and I first came here, he was the first person to love on us and take us out to eat. Now, albeit I am a drummer, so he does have an incentive to do that, right? But, hey, I'm not going to hold that against him, right? Um, you, you have leaders like like Kevin, like a pillar in this church. And I'm not saying a pillar because that's what he looks like. You can see him from a distance. No, I'm saying, I'm saying pillar because he is always there. He's, he's, he's greeting people and loving on them, and, and that's our Savior's Church's story. You know what's so cool about Kevin is he gets this... Now, he has this hobby where he, he, he looks for treasure in the wilderness, right? He, he has this metal detecting thing, and he just told me, like, Friday, he found a cannonball. It's was amazing. Uh, an actual cannonball. Like, I don't know if we should be giving Kevin explosives, but okay. Um, but he, yeah, he found that. And what a, what a perfect picture of what God has called him to be. I mean, think about it. He searches each one of you, finds the treasures within you, and brings them out and introduces you to the gifts within you. That... That is what God is doing here at our Savior's Church. But that story started thousands of years ago with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? You have Adam and Eve, and there's this serpent that deceives them. And what do they do? They're expelled expelled from the garden because of it. Adam and Eve, and and they have... uh, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel kills his brother Cain kills his brother. This this horrible thing that happens. Guys, your story's really interesting. It's really interesting. But you're, you're seeing it told throughout the book of Genesis, and it's so cool to be a part of a church that is that is going back and, and figuring out who they are, not by looking at their jobs or their hobbies, right? They're not they're not figuring out who they are by looking within, like how am I defining myself? What do my feelings say that I am, right? Who you are is defined by figuring out who you were created to be. Looking at your history, you are a people within a people. God has called you to something incredible. Crown jewel, Opelousas, your town, your town is not a town of poverty. Your town is a town of God's provision. It's, it's, not, it's not a place of, 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 of crime or, or danger. It's a place of God's protection. Right? See, this is who God is calling you. Your story is being written, and it's so cool to see it uh, in, 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 the, in the Bible. So we're going to start off. I'm going to throw the uh, people in the back for a loop here just a little bit. Um, e- um, Ezekiel chapter 46, verse 9. I want to challenge you to do something today. When the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed festivals, whoever enters by the north gate to worship is to go out the south gate. Whoever enters by the south gate, go out the north gate. No one is to return to the gate by which they entered, but each is to go out the opposite gate. So this is an interesting verse. God is, what is he, what is he saying here this morning? When I saw this verse, I thought about, you, you guys got a lot of doors to come in. You have a lot of options. I don't think God is concerned about what door you come in. I think he's, or, or how, how you leave. I think he's concerned not about what gate you leave from, but how you leave. Church, I want to challenge you this morning that you leave different today. Whatever it is that you came in with, leave it here that if it needs to stay. And if you need to leave with calling, purpose, and direction, carry that with you. Leave different, church, this morning. So we're going to open up. Yes, praise the Lord. Awesome. We're going to open up with prayer. We're going to get into our word. God, we thank you so much for your 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 word, that it, it cuts into us, it searches us, it finds the places within us that need to be exposed, Lord God, and it brings them to the surface. God, help us to walk away with something practical to apply to our lives today. Father, we pray for your spirit of wisdom and revelation in this house so that we may know you better. God, help us to love you more and love each other more and to serve you every day. God, we give you dominion, yielding it to you, dominion and authority in this house. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're in Exodus. Uh, Moses is, is on the scene, right? You have Pharaoh. He is um, imposing his, his, his will upon the Israelites. The Israelites are, are being fruitful and multiplying. And you're having this uh, Pharaoh that is, there's this retelling happening in Genesis. Pharaoh is saying these words. He's saying, uh, we need to deal shrewdly with the Israelites. And that's actually a mirror to Genesis with this shrewd snake. And so the Pharaoh, what does he say? He says, uh, Hebrew midwives, if you see a son, uh, a Hebrew son born, kill it. And so what do they do? They don't listen to the snake. And as a result, they're blessed. And, and you're having this, this Moses come onto the scene, this next deliverer, right? In, in the book of Genesis, we saw our deliverer was Noah, and he came in on an ark. And then Moses was born, and he was placed into a basket, which in Hebrew is ark. It's exactly the same. There's this incredible retelling happening, Genesis to Exodus to today, that we're seeing unfold. We're picking up in our passage in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to see this happen here. Let me, uh, let me get to, I'm a little old school. I'm going to use the, the, uh, the Bible here, the, the actual paper one. It's falling apart because my life isn't. So Exodus 3, <laughs> uh, it's falling apart. So yeah, Exodus 3 verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. I want to show you some really cool stuff real quick. I want to belabor this, but you have in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law. As Pastor Eugene taught us last week, uh, he, he's, he's taking care of the flock of his new father-in-law, Jethro, also like Ruel or something. And he is, Moses is in a foreign land, right? He's, he's, he's in the... Saudi Arabia, basically, in, in Midian. And so you have uh, Moses taking care of someone else's flock. Now, you guys know what's going to happen next. You know Moses is about to be placed over millions of Israelites. And so we see how God begins to shape a man by putting him in charge of something that's not his to see how he does with it before he can trust him with something else, right? So you see, see Je- so Jethro is, is kind of overseeing uh, what Moses is doing. And Moses... He's tending the flock, and, and the, the, he, he sees a bush off in the distance, right? He sees this bush, and it's on fire. Okay, so I, I'm not from Louisiana. I'm, uh, I moved here from all over the place, but I'm technically from California. And you guys do some weird things here. Um, <laughs> let me just put it this way. like I've never lived in a place where, where people set their yards on fire. So you guys actually do that. Like I've been driving down the road and like somebody's yard's on fire. And I'm like, what is going on? Oh, they're just cleaning up their leaves. (laughs) That is not normal. So I don't think that's what's happening here. But Moses is seeing something burning off in the distance. It's not your front yard. Don't worry. It's a bush. And he sees this bush and it's not burning up. So he goes up to it and he hears something. What is God telling us this morning? See, there's going to be some things that are going on in society right now some things that are just bringing your attention to them, distractions, things that are not normal, crazy things that are going on. But when you get to those distractions, I want to challenge you to listen because God will speak to you in those moments. Whenever you are surrounded by distractions, hit pause on what's going on, take a step back and, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell me? He's going to speak to you in the chaos of today. Listen, listen for him. He says, Moses, Moses, and what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve right? Go back to the garden. Adam and Eve, they, they sin against, the, they, they were told to do, to do, like, not do one thing. They did that one thing, and they, they covered up their shame. And then God is walking in the garden, and he says, where are you? He calls to them, where are you? And what is Adam's response? He says, it, it says that he's afraid, and then he, he says, I was afraid because I was naked. Moses hears God speaking, and what does he say? I'm here. Moses says, I'm here. Now I want to show you something interesting about this. He, he says, I'm here. And then verse 5, Exodus chapter 3, verse 5 says, Do not come any closer, God said, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face. Check this out. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I want you to remember Moses hiding his face, but he was afraid. When God first called to him, he wasn't afraid, right? So, but I mean, I would be afraid if I heard a voice—a disembodied voice. I'd be a little, especially because there's this fire and stuff going on. He, He, but when is he afraid? He's afraid after he hears who it is who's speaking to him. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, is where he is right now because he had fled. When he heard, this is the God of your fathers, he put his face down because he realized this is is my moment. I'm being judged. I'm a murderer. This is the God of my people and he's catching up to me. See, when when Adam and Eve heard God's voice, it exposed their sin, so they were, they were afraid. When Moses learned who God was, it exposed their sin because they were afraid. But in neither passage do I see God pointing out their sin and saying, look at how dirty and horrible you are. That doesn't happen. It doesn't have God isn't the one who's calling out your sin. It is the presence of a holy God who brings it to the surface, not him who's calling you out. So when you are in the, in, in the body of Christ, when you're near God, and that sin is rising to the surface, the natural reaction is afraid. It's par for the course. So you're, on the right, you're in the right place. But what happens next? Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. Let's, go, let's keep going. The Lord said, Uh, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've seen their misery. I've heard their cry. And now the cry of the Israelites has has reached me. Verse uh, 9 says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Moses, in the presence of God, experiencing this fear because he's realizing, what have I done? What have I done? See, I know this moment. I know this moment so dearly, so intimately, because it was in February of 2014. I was on the floor of my studio studio apartment. I had been binge drinking for three days. And I had a bottle of pills in my left hand and a knife in my right. I was ready. I was done. Couldn't do it anymore. And I, 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 I heard... in this moment, I had this like out-of-body experience, and I saw what I had become. After the fact, I'm telling you after the fact, I can tell you that God was there visiting me because it was in this moment that I finally started to realize what my life had become. See, because when I was there on the floor of my apartment, I had a chance to revisit my life up until that point. I had a chance to look at, and, and I had this experience looking within myself, and I saw that I had I was evil. I had become this dark and horrible thing, just like Adam and just like Moses. Whenever God came and visited me, I realized how bad I had become. And see, I didn't make it there overnight. It wasn't like one day everything was fine and the next day I was suicidal. No, I, it, it happened as this, this progression. See, I, I had every reason to succeed growing up, right? I had, you know, I, my family was just it was awesome. We, my dad had a great job. My parents were still together. I had three siblings and... I had a mouth full of braces, right? Smart kid, you know, I didn't care what anybody thought. I had these, I, I always wore my dad's shirts. So I, I had these like giant shirts on all the time. I didn't care what anybody thought. I was like sixth, seventh, seventh grade, wearing these big shirts, I didn't care what anybody thought. I'm wearing my dad's shirts, I'm gonna be my dad, right? I, I you know, and I, I, was, I was loving life and I didn't care, you know? But. You know, he took a new job, and he was, he was, he was out a lot, and, and you know, I, I would come home from school, and, and there'd be times when my mom would, would not be able to get up from the couch, you know, and come to find out later she'd been drinking and, and using drugs. And this, this, this series, this, this progression happened, and it got worse and worse, and eventually to the point that, you know, uh, my mother uh, started having an affair, and uh, it, the situation just, just got bad quickly. I'd come home from school, and I'd have to turn her on her side so she wouldn't die, From from overdosing, I I can't even tell you how many times I saved her life, like over and over. I was 14, 15 years old, um, coming home from school, and I'm having to like cook and drive them to things. I don't even have my driver's license, you know, and. And, and, and it was in this place where I, st- I started to care what other people thought because I was no longer getting the affirmation and the identity from who I was born to be, but instead was who I was being raised to be. Just like Moses, whenever he was being raised to be an Egyptian, he had to make a choice. And, and I started to make a choice. I decided to choose to get my affirmation from, from friends and, and, and things. I started using drugs and drinking. And by the age of 17, I just I couldn't do it anymore. I was in and out of trouble. I was still getting good grades, but I was in and out of trouble. And... I, uh, I got a scholarship to go to college, and I was, I was like, I'm gone. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't be there. I couldn't, I couldn't save her anymore. I tried everything I could think of, and I'm just like, I'm done. I can't deal with the drama anymore. I can't deal with the fighting. I'm not going to be a pawn between you and Dad anymore. I'm not, I'm not doing this. And I left, and I went off to college. And as many new college students do, I'm king of the world, right? I'm, I've got it all figured out. I have all the answers. I'm 17, right? Got it all figured out. No idea what's going on. No idea. And uh, so I, I, you know, I'm drinking and using drugs and partying and stuff. And, and then uh, I was hanging out with some friends, and um, my dad calls me. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been ignoring my mom's phone calls for weeks. <laughs> like, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. My dad calls me, and he, he rarely, he, you know, whenever he did call, I would answer. And uh, he called me, and, and I was rolling a joint at the time. And I handed it off to my, my friend. I was like, oh, take that. I'm going to answer my phone. I go answer it, and here's what my dad says. He says, where are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? Whoa. See, those questions were not normally asked because he didn't want to know the answers to those because he knew. But the thing that scared me the most was his voice because it was in his voice that I heard Fear. It's the first time I've heard my dad afraid. I'd, I'd heard him scared. I, I mean, I've heard, I've heard him angry. I'd heard him happy and joyful. I've heard him frustrated, but I'd never heard him afraid. And he took a deep breath and he said, She's gone. She shot herself in front of your siblings. I'd been ignoring her phone calls for weeks. The phone fell out of my hand and I crippled to the ground out in the front and I screamed. I just screamed. And it was in that moment that I realized, like, if this is what life is, I don't want anything to do with it. I chose right then I'm going to be a drug, I'm going to be a drunk, I'm going to be a drug addict, I'm going to do whatever I want, and so I did. And it led me to the floor of my studio apartment. I was on the floor of my apartment, and I started taking the pills one after another. I just couldn't, Church. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. I, I couldn't keep running. I, I, I realized that I, I could no longer blame. I could no longer blame the, the drugs. I couldn't blame the alcohol. I couldn't blame my friends. I was in and out of doctor's offices for five, six years after she had died. they being diagnosed with everything you could think of from ADHD, insomnia, uh, manic bipolar disorder. They were trying to just throw pills at me. At that point, I was on nine psychotropic medications, and I was taking them. Taking them with whiskey on the floor of my apartment. I couldn't even walk. And uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. Before I put the knife in my arm, I said, God, I'm sorry. Three words. Three words that saved my life. He heard my cry. Like, like he's telling Moses right there. He says to Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. And it was just three words. I could barely get them out. God, I'm sorry. But those words are so powerful, church. I wasn't saying the most lofty, influential salvation prayer ever. I was saying God. And so for the first time in my life, you know what I was doing? I was recognizing him. I was saying, you do exist. I can't deny you anymore. I said the next word, I'm. What, what, what is, what's the power of that word? I'm taking responsibility. I am responsible for this. I had become the very person that I had blamed my whole life. My whole life I said I'll never be like her. I'll never do the things that she did. And I found myself in the very place that she was because the person that I was blaming, the thing that I was blaming, I became. I'm, I'm taking responsibility. I can't blame her anymore. I'm sorry. And I was, I lost consciousness. I woke up in the hospital and my dad was there, foot on my bedside. And he, he, he just broken, pale as a ghost, with his head in his hands. And I realized like then I was like, I have been so selfish. My God, what have I done? Somebody came to my bedside and they told me about a place called Teen Challenge. And uh, I said, yeah, sure. I'll go, whatever. I didn't have any hope. I wasn't like, they told me about this program, and I'm so excited. Ah, God's going to share No, I didn't. I had no, re- I had literally nothing. I was at the state of pure empty, nothing. I had nothing. I said, sure, whatever. I'll go. And uh, he's a family friend. He, he, he told me about it. He's like, hey, so there's this program. It's called Teen Challenge. I was like, well, I'm, I'm an adult. And he's like, no, it's for adults, too. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, it'll change your life. It's like, all right, fine. And it was in that moment that I realized something so powerful. I realized, like, I was so willing to die for nothing. I might as well live for something. You know, I might as well live for something. And it was in this program that I, I was, like, in this orientation room, and there's this book called Personal Studies for New Christians, and in it it has, like, it's like the 100 book, and it says, you know, if you've, have you prayed to accept Jesus? Yes or no? And I went, no. And they said, would you like to? And I'd, I'd been there for, this is my third day there, and I hadn't slept. I'd barely eaten. And uh, I said, yeah, all right. I might as well. I'll give it a shot, right? I, I checked yes. And then it said, pray this prayer. So I closed my eyes, and I, I, I was like one eye open, kind of reading it. I'm like, all right. was right. supposed to pray like this. So I prayed. Let me tell you what happened. Actually, let me start by saying what didn't happen. After I prayed that prayer and I said amen, here's what didn't happen. The sky did not part, right? Fire did not fall from heaven. But that night, I slept. I slept. The biggest miracles are not massive in moments. They're massive in time. As it stretches out, and I slept the next night, and I ate the next day, and I started to have a smile on my face. I started to realize there's something to this. There really is a God. Moses, he hears from God, and he says, it's, we got we to get into this. Exodus 3, verse 11, right, verse 10. So now go, verse 10, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I, right? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? That is a fantastic question, Moses. Fantastic question. Who am I? That is what we're asking, church. Who am I? We don't find out who we are by looking at the things of this world or by our circumstances that you can blame all you want, but anyway, you're going to end up there. Right? You can't blame, you can, who am I? So Moses asked this question, and I want you to see how God responds. The next verse, the Lord uh, and God said, When you're asking that question, who am I? God responds with his presence. Who you are is not defined by your job, your hobby, even the people you were raised with. Who you are is defined. It is magnified. It is intensified. You identify when he's with you. He is there. Amen. I'll be with you. This will be the sign that it is I have I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. A testimony in advance, right? Here's what's going to happen. See, he's on the Mount Horeb. Horeb in Hebrew is dry, right? The bush that he is at, that bush its the burning bush. Is in, in Arabic, it's Sinebush, bush, S apostrophe N-E-H, Sinebush. bush. Why is that important? It's a play on words. The original authors are hinting at what that mountain is going to be right? It's a thorn bush. That's what it means in Arabic. But Sinai, it's the same. It's when you, when you look at it next to the other word, Sinai, Mount Sinai, this is going to be the exact place that the Israelites are going to receive the 10 commandments. Moses is going to climb to the top of that mountain. I want you to remember Moses, when he first met God, what happened? He hid his face because he was ashamed. He goes up on that mountain and Exodus, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm We got to see this. Exodus 34, verse 29. Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant. Was radiant, So he was hiding his face initially, but in just a short amount of time, what is he going to be doing? He's going to be standing there worshiping God and he's going to come down and the very thing he was most ashamed of, I'm a murderer, right? The very thing I was most ashamed of, I'm a drug addict, useless, hopeless. It's going to be the thing that is the most radiant, so bright, so shining, no one can deny it. He's not remembered as a murderer. He's remembered as a man whose face is glowing with the glory of God church. The thing you are most ashamed of is the thing he wants to get his hands on. He wants to get his hands on that. Why? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says this, the things that are done in darkness, don't even talk about them. The things that are done in darkness, don't even talk about them, but instead expose them. That's what it says in Ephesians 5, because when those things are exposed to the light, they themselves become a light. They become visible. Everything is illuminated by it. What are you ashamed of? Show me that. Then I'll show you the stage of his supernatural power. His power is made perfect in your weakness. That shame is not a bad thing. That is just, it's just this light, this illumination, this indicator that says that's the part that he's going to use. The thing you're most ashamed of, you came here this morning with something that you were afraid of and ashamed of. when you were before God, you don't even want to talk about it. I'm telling you, that thing, he wants that. And look at what he does with Moses. He doesn't even bring it up. He says, all right, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that you're going to be glowing in that area. You're going to be glowing. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because, like I said, who I used to be? A drunk, useless, lying drug addict. Let me tell you, while I was in the program... God radically delivered me from 10 years of drug and alcohol addiction. Totally, completely addicted. God radically delivered me within the first couple weeks. I mean, that's amazing. That is amazing. It's just a small little sliver. Because of the deliverance thing, that's what he does. That's how he introduces himself to the Israelites. He's about to say, I'm, Moses says, who, who, who it is? Who's sending me? Who's sending me? And, and what does God say? I am. I am is saying we sang that song this morning. I am is sending you guys. I'm here to challenge you to do something. I'm here to challenge you because as Christians, you know what? We don't say lies. We sing them. <laughs> we do. And sad thing is, it's not actually that funny <laughs> because we sing about I am right, who He is in our lives. We don't really live it out, do we? What do I mean? What do I mean by that? We we don't really live it out. Is he I am in your finances? Is he I am in your marriage? Is he I am around your kids? Is he I am? Are you carrying Yahweh with you wherever you go? Are, Are you glowing? God delivered me from drug and alcohol addiction, and then it just started getting crazier. Because then he started putting purpose and direction in my life. I started finding a reason to wake up in the morning. I started loving the word of God. Guys, let me tell you. I was diagnosed with manic bipolar, attention deficit disorder, insomnia, chronic seizures. I was on nine psychotropic medications when I came into the program. By the time I finished the program, I was on zero. Zero. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. What, what is Teen Challenge about? Taking the word of God. That's all we do. We take the verses. We put them in our brain. He does the rest. It's not complicated. We make it out to be. But what, what, what does it mean? See, see, Moses is before God and he says, who am I? And then he starts making a bunch of excuses about who he isn't. I can't do that, right? I, don't, I can't speak. I had such crippling anxiety, I couldn't eat in restaurants. I'm in front of a thousand people right now. (laughs) Having I am in your life doesn't mean that you're not afraid. The worst five minutes of my life were right there. Every time. Worst five minutes of my life. Moses was afraid, but he went anyway. Show me your fear, and I'll show you that God's going to be there with you. Because Moses, you know what? He had the bend toward deliverance in him, and he killed a guy, right? He saw, I can do this. Whenever he said, I can, God didn't show up because he's like, all right, you got it. But whenever Moses is before God and he said, I can't, God said, I'm going to use that. I'm going to deliver a million people because of I can't. Show me your fear, and I'll show you that he will be with you. He will be with you. He will walk with you. There's nothing, well, I mean, it's very scary, (laughs) It's very scary, but uh, that fear um, is evidence that he's in your life, and, and let me tell you this, being afraid, that's part for the course. It's part for the course, church, and um, I, it's not going to, I mean, it hasn't gone away for me. I've been doing this for a few years. It's not gone away. I don't ever want it to, actually, um, because, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's moving on in, in spite of it. It's moving on in spite of it, knowing that he's with you. He says, I will be with you. Guys, I'm getting ready to close here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 19, it says this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from from wickedness. In a large house, there are not only articles of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't do anything out of foolish ambition, right? Stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels, right? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. You're going to see throughout the book of Exodus, you're going to see Moses dealing with Pharaoh. When you you see Pharaoh, I want you to think, Pharaoh, that's the mind of bondage. Pharaoh throughout Exodus is the epitome, the, the, the perfect picture of bondage. The next verse teaches us how to deal with that. It says opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, so that they may escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive, to do his will. God is the one who grants repentance, and if you're here this morning and you you feel like you've been hiding in shame from God and you want to make that, you, you want to make that right before Him, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. But before I do, I want to teach you about addiction, just briefly you're not going to change their mind. Every single person in here has someone in their life that's in addiction. You're not going to fix them. Stop trying. It's not up to you. Because you're in, your, in their life, let me tell you what your, your, your position is. Your position is to pray for them. Stop enabling them. Don't Stop giving them money. Let me just tell it to you. Whenever my family said, we're done, we're not helping you anymore, that's when my life changed. God is the one who grants repentance. I'm going to ask the prayer team at this point, if you guys would, start working your way forward. As they're coming forward, I'm going to provide you an opportunity. After service, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for those that are in addiction. After we close, I want to encourage you to say, if you have a loved one in your life that's dealing with addiction, I'm telling you this, your job is to pray for them. Because it is God who grants repentance. Let me tell you testimonies. Every single time we do this, we get messages afterward, Facebook or whatever, text messages. You know what we get? We get testimonies. Hey, so my loved one wants to get help. I saw, we were praying in service and they, and they said, look, let me tell you, God answers. He hears cries. He hears cries. He's a God who hears the cries of the Israelites. He heard mine. And it was because someone, someone was... Somebody was praying for me. He heard mine. After service is over, I want to challenge you to bring forward that person's name and lift them up to God and let God bring about that place of repentance in their mind. But at this point, if if you're here and you want to make that commitment to Christ, you haven't done it yet. During this service, you felt like God's been moving on your heart. We're going to give you an opportunity. Everyone in this house, who would just bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to take a moment here to open it up for you to make that commitment. If you're under the sound of my voice, I'm challenging you. Think about your life. What brought you here to this point? Is he your God? Do you carry his name? Are you his? Because if you're not, you can change that right now. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're ready to just give him your life. You're ready to live a life that can't be explained. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Go ahead right now. If if you're in this house this morning and you want to make Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior, I see those hands. If you're ready to do that this morning, just raise your hand. By me seeing that hand, you're just telling me, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do this. Well, what I'm going to do Because I'm going to walk you through a prayer. Now, it's not the prayer that saves you. Like I said, I was saved by three words. God, I'm sorry. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's belief in the one who does the saving. Everyone else in this house, I'm going to ask that you pray with us. If you raised your hand this morning, I'm going to ask that you repeat after me. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know my sin Separates me from God. I don't want that. I want a relationship with you. I want a new life. I want heaven. So, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And I believe you ascended into heaven. And I believe you will save me. So, Jesus, I repent. I turn away from sin. I turn away from this world, and I turn towards you. Help me to do that. I give you my life. And now I know that right now, even as I pray, my sins are forgiven. I'm now right with you. I am saved. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.